I'm loving these stories from putting God first. I'm loving this series, First Things First, because I have proven it works in my own life. Over 37 years of marriage, over however many, I'm not good with math, but since I was 17 years old, I made a commitment to put God first and His house first in my life. And I'm telling you, when we put Him first, it works. I'm telling you that I feel like God is saying today is the day of salvation. And what does that mean? I felt it all through worship. God was, it was yelling in my spirit, today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? It means that we should not worry or fret about wishing we knew today, yesterday, what we know today. And today is the day where God can redeem marriages, where God can redeem the things that you were taught as a child that maybe were bad examples. God is going to redeem them today because today is the day of salvation for the way you think about God, for the way you think about faith, for the way you think about marriage relationships, about parenting. There's so many things that he wants to redeem today. You know, this week while I was preparing, I thought about how God started off at the beginning of time. His first on this earth, Genesis 1, 1 to 4. First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light, and light appeared. God saw that the light was good and separated light from darkness. First things first, the very first thing God did was separate darkness from light. And I believe prophetically that this message God has given to me to separate some darkness, some things that don't seem to work out, some things that are still confusing, some things that you don't have clarity with from light. He wants to speak light into your life. He wants to give you an overview. He wants to give you a formula, a pattern that works for your future, regardless of what's happened in the past. And I want to just take any condemnation, any guilt from anybody's shoulders today, because I believe God wants you to understand that today is the day of salvation. For, to, for you to embrace today what God is saying and not feel guilty about what you have or haven't done in the past, but literally to take hold of this today. You see, this week, I the last couple of weeks, I've been setting up an office in our house and uh, so that Pastor Ashley, I can take the chaos that Pastor Ashley has spread through three different areas of our house. Um, he has turned into an office, not one area, but three different areas he's turned into an office. And uh, just between me and you, he's not that tidy. And uh, so I'm like, I am putting it all in one room. There's a thought. And so I've been making IKEA desks. Now, I am uh, construction orientated. I 
and very good at building things, believe it or not. I did all the Lego in our house when our boys were little. I was the one that built the Lego. Um, my hands and my brain seemed to work. But when I'm looking at these, the first desk, I was like, okay, I better follow the instructions. They come out of the box, if you've never built one, in a million pieces with a million little screws of all different sizes. And it, I, I put it, spread it all out. And after the second desk, I was feeling like a bit of an expert. Um, and so the third desk was a different desk, and there was a, a picture on every single bolt that I did up. This was the picture, if we've got that slide. Do not tighten the bolt. I'm like, what? How stupid. So I didn't, at first, I didn't tighten the first few bolts, and it's as wobbly as anything, unstable. And I'm like, they've got it wrong. They've got it wrong. How can I even turn this over with all this wobbling going on? I tightened down those screws. It's such a sense of satisfaction. And I go and finish up and try and put the top on that desk. There are only four little holes I have to line up. And would you believe... To my utter horror, none of the holes. I could get one screw in, one. I am like, oh, maybe that's what they meant. I had to go back and undo every single screw to the uh, position that is shown on the diagram quite kindly for me. And I'm like, dang, they know what they're doing, those Swedish people even if they can't talk to me in their language. Those pictures mean something. And would you believe I got that top on that desk because I did it the way the manufacturer told me to do it. <sighs> Life's like that. We have a manufacturer who's given us a manual and the manual has the order. You see, we know how to do life because we've built a few tables. We've done a few things. We know how to do life, particularly if you're a guy. You don't even look at the book. No, <laughs> I'm talking about the instructions. Building, I'm totally talking about IKEA tables. I know that men can't build them, most men. Okay, girls, you have to sort. You have to support me here because I've lost all the men. All right. Life's like that. God's given us the instruction manual. He wrote it himself. He created you. He knows how you work best. He knows how to get the best outcomes in your life. And so many times we are trying to be successful out there. I'm not talking to you about your out there life today. I'm talking to you about your in here life. 
because so many people have the in here life in chaos or in frustration or in confusion or they're trying to make bolts fit that won't go in holes because they haven't done it right and then they go out here and they're trying to be successful out here and wonder why everything is taking longer. Everything is taking more effort. Everything is exhausting more than it should be. And today I want to talk to you about the five things that God has created you and I to be responsible for ourselves. Now, it's not without His help. In fact, it is with Him. There are five areas that we have responsibility for that nobody else can help us with. Nobody else can help you with these five areas. And when we get these five areas right and do them in order, and we put first things first in here, then out here becomes easier. The rhythms of life become easier. The effort we have to put in is way less. And God begins to, as Pastor Ashley said, the dominoes begin to fall over when we put the first domino in the right place and stack all the others correctly behind it. When we knock over the first one, the entire thing goes. But so many of us, have stops and starts, and there's dominoes everywhere, and we're trying to pick them up, trying to work it out, trying to make it happen, and it just doesn't. Every one of these five things is built on the one before. It matters which order you put them in. And the first one is what you do with God. Now, before you tune me out, I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear me. I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm not asking if you have a relationship with God or if you don't. Because if you don't, you just hang on because at the end of this message, I'm going to talk to you about why it's so critical that you do and why God created you to have one. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to begin and start that relationship today. Because for you, today is the day of salvation. But I'm talking to you about what kind of relationship. If you claim to have a connection with God, I want to challenge you about that connection. Because God only works if he's at the center. He's not an add-on. He's not a 911 call. He's not a grocery list person that you can ask your requests of. He's not a casual friend that you visit once a Sunday or maybe once or a couple times a year. He is the Lord your God. He is one God. And the Bible says that we need to love him with all our heart and soul and mind. That is everything about us needs to be engaged with God, but not just as an add-on, not like a lump of clay off-center on a wheel that when you spin it just spins off. When life gets a little dizzying, God somehow spins off our wheel. When he's in the center of our lives and he is the center of every single thing that we do, when that wheel spins, 
with his hands over that, he creates something beautiful. He creates something incredible out of our lives. And you will know what is at the center of your life. Because every major decision you make will be according to what is best for whatever or whoever is at the center of your life. That's a sila moment. I want you to ask yourself every major decision I make in life, who do I make it for? Who is at the center of that decision? You know, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. That's kind of a We see jealousy as a negative thing, but the Bible says God is a jealous God. In the book of Ezekiel, 27 times, he repeats himself by saying this, and they shall know, we, his people, shall know, understand, and realize that I am the Lord, the sovereign ruler who calls forth loyalty and obedient service. Sometimes we think that God is going to be really satisfied if I just give him a little bit of time every once in a while, maybe once a week, and I'm really doing good. Maybe, you know, I get to church when I can, when all these other things align and I I can make it. But that's not how God intended our relationship with him to be. You see, I remember when we moved from Australia to Atlanta, when God called us and said, I want you to uproot your whole family. I want, even if, whether they were coming or not, Pastor Ashley and I knew we were called to come here. Without a doubt, both of us had individual calls. We knew that God said, come. And we said, yes, Lord. Now, when we were looking to come here, the first thing that we looked for was a place to plant a church. That was our very first decision. We did not have a house We sold our house the week before we left or a couple of weeks before we left, like very short time period. We didn't have a house to come to when we came here because we were looking for the house of God first. And when we miraculously and supernaturally found a place to plant our first campus here in Atlanta, do you know within a very short time, supernaturally, we had found an incredible house, not even 10 minutes away from where God's house was. And then we looked for a school for Benjamin, who was nine at the time he came. That was the order we did it in. We got that house for thousands and thousands of dollars less than what it was advertised for. God gave us an incredible school for Benjamin, one that suited all his needs. Those things fell into line when we put God first. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. 
God at the center, God number one, God first in all your decisions. And number two, what you do with your spouse. Now, if you're not married, just substitute God for this one as well. Because you're going to need all the help from God you can get to be married successfully. <laughs> okay? I'm starting to feel like I need therapy up here. You are, because marriage is hard. It is a hard thing. I'm just going to just help you feel better. Marriage is hard. Two, <laughs> two strong leaders in this house with strong opinions who both think they're right. I'm going to read some scripture to you and then we'll talk. Ephesians 5, to 24, wives, understand, I love this word, understand and support your husbands. You have to understand them, ladies. They are different creatures. They are from another planet. They don't think the same. Tony, you are such a wise man putting your arm around your wife right now. That was like such a, like... A legit move. I am so impressed. Understand and support because all men need supporting. I know they do a lot of chest beating. They never ask questions because they know all the directions. They never need to ever ask questions. But ladies, they need support. They need to, you to give them the answers. Just pretend you don't. Like... Oh, did you know that um, I've always thought that was right? I always make that mistake, but it's actually left. Did you, could you believe that? <laughs> Wives, understand, I need to get back to the scripture. Understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Oh, there it is. N number one, if God is at the center you can understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ or my interpretation is that God is number one. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Good move, Tony. So just as the wife, the church, submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise, and here's that S word, submit to their husbands. All right, I'm going to talk to the husbands now. Husbands, go out all, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. There's a whole sermon right there. Christ's love, actually it's probably a marriage seminar. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk. Expensive clothes, ladies. Radiant with the best beauty products in the world. Oh, holiness. 
And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they are already one in marriage. Okay, before I lose you, and maybe to get some of you back, come back, gentlemen, come back, focus. God is really saying he wants submission, which means coming under the mission, which means every marriage needs to have a godly mission. I want to talk to you. Does your marriage have a mission? If not, your homework today is to go home and discuss the mission of your marriage. What is God's mission for your marriage? Not your mission because God at the center. Every decision is made according to what is at the center. So when you are discussing your mission for your marriage, you say, God, what is your mission for me as a man under God? What is a mission for us as a couple? And then as a man, you're meant to lead every discussion, every argument in towards the completion of that mission. That's another whole marriage seminar there. You know, Pastor Ashley and I, you need to understand, I said before, we're two strong leaders. But that man is a great leader in our home, in our marriage. You ask, you ask him, he's, going to, he's recording this. You, you ask him, I am not easily tameable. That were the words he used this week. I am not easily tameable. I am opinionated. I am independent. I am strong-willed. I am all those things. But you know what? I am in submission to his leadership in our marriage. There are some things I do way better than him. Not many of them. Like tables, like build furniture, yes. There are many things that he does way better than me. And in our marriage, we, in our mission, we have agreed, I'm totally bowing to you on all of that. And he bows to me on all, well, he doesn't bow, but he acquiesces to me on all of the things I do. But there is a muddy middle Anybody experience the muddy middle or do I need therapy again? There's a muddy middle where I have an opinion, he has a different opinion. And we argue about which is the best way to go. But this man in his leadership with our mission of our marriage in mind directs the conversation, sometimes with my tears, with my outbursts. I know you can't believe that that would ever happen. I have thrown something at him once, but I was under the influence of anesthetic. So that does give me a bit of an out. And he was taunting me like you would not believe. Anyway, back to what I'm saying, the muddy middle. He leads the muddy middle. And makes, makes us, remind, he reminds us what our mission is. And in that muddy middle, he brings leadership. And yes, sometimes he will compromise and, re- <laughs> and request that I compromise. And we don't leave arguments unresolved. Because 
I'm willing to submit under the mission of our marriage. It's very quiet. Okay. Like I said, today is the day of salvation. Maybe you've never had, I was talking to someone before service and they said, Pastor Jane, I've never had a good example of parenting. My home was a mess when I was growing up. I'd say to that person, just like I say to every single one of you, today is the day of salvation. Don't spend time fretting or regretting about what you have or have not learned or have or have not done, about mistakes you've made. God simply wants you to seize the salvation today and do things different for tomorrow. Okay, number three, are you ready? I've got to get through this really quick. What you do with your children. I have watched friends over the years, over and over again, put their kids in that number one spot. And everything in their life, in their family, revolves around their children. Now, this might seem noble, but it is not God's way of operating. First comes God. Second comes your spouse. Third comes your children. Now, if you do not have children, then put your spouse as number three. And if you do not have a spouse, you put God as number one, number two, and number three, because you're going to need to know who you are. You're going to need the strength of God to enter into a marriage that is successful and to have children, which is the hardest job on the planet, is to raise little children into the 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 beings, the people that they were created to be. Okay, here's what you need to know to succeed at parenting, and I've got to go really fast, and this is just a thought, but the Bible says that we are in, even before in Ephesians 1, 4, even before he made the world, even before he made the world, God loved us, you and me, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That means he knew you before the foundations of the world were laid. You existed in his heart. And that means that your children existed in God's heart too. And that means when it came time, you see, when your children were born and God introduced them to you, he already knew them. You see, he searched the planet when it was getting time to introduce your children to the world. He searched the planet down through history to this point for good parents, for the right parents, for that child, for the parents that would have the best capacity to train up that child in the way he wants them to go. Now, I know that when that two-year-old or four-year-old stamps his foot and throws something and says no, you immediately think you are the worst parent on the planet. And that why did God give you someone so hard to manage? I understand that Mark was my first child and he was willful and strong. And God gave me this revelation on my knees and he said, Jane, you were the best parent for that boy. Rise up, come on, stand up. And parent that child in the way that he should go so when he is old, he will not depart from it. You are the best mom, 
the best dad for your children. Despite whatever has happened in your life, despite the fact you may not have had a dad, you may not have had a home where you could get an example, God says, I see you. I see the potential inside of you. I see all the good that is inside of you. And if you will put me in the first, in the center, I will make all of these things work. If you will just put me at the center of my pa- your parenting. All right, don't opt for peace over training. Don't opt for peace over training. Training is never peaceful. It brings peace. It is not my job to make my children happy. Says the mother of three grown men who still fear me just a little bit. It is not my job to make my children happy. It is not my job to be my children's best friend. In fact, if I am doing it right, my children won't be happy with many of the decisions I make. I don't care if everybody does this. I don't care if everyone's watching this. I don't care if everybody's saying this or whatever. I have a responsibility before God to train that child in the way they should go. And I say to my kids, I am not answering to you. I answer to God Almighty. And if you have a problem, go take it up with him. Because God, I'm preaching at my 19-year-old. Wave at me, Benny. Sweet boy. He's been the easiest. I just want to say that. All right. Number four, you ready really quickly, finances. Finances, what you do with money. If you don't think God is watching what you do with your money, you are wrong. You are so wrong because the Bible says it. Jesus taught it to his disciples. And people say, oh, you can't talk about money in church. Of course I can. Jesus talked about money. Jesus cares what you do with your money. He sees what you do with your money. He's watching your relationship with your money. Luke 6, the first 13 verses are Jesus teaching his disciples the right relationship with money. And you know why people get upset in church when people talk about money from the platform? It's because money is in the place of God at the center of their lives. Mic drop. I told you I was untamable. Just saying it as it is. Luke 16, 11 to 12. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? They are people. The true riches of heaven is not gold. It's on the jolly streets. Like tarmac or whatever you call it here, bitumen. Tarmac? Whatever. Bitumen. It's that common. God doesn't care about gold. He doesn't need your gold. He doesn't need your money. But you need to understand money's place in your life. Because if God is not at the center, there's only one other option. The Bible says it in verse 13. It's either money or God.
God watches our relationship with money. He's watching to see if we trust him enough to put him at the center of of our lives rather than money. He values people. They are the true riches of heaven. And in those verses, it goes on to say, Jesus asked his disciples, if I can't trust you with something that belongs to someone else, How will you ever be trusted to handle something of your own? I believe he was looking thousands of years ahead and seeing employees behind desks taking employers' time on their phones, doing their own stuff instead of giving what is due to their employer. People stealing from work. People just not being honest with their taxes. People living with areas of deceit in their lives and rationalizing that it's okay. It's not because God says, I'm watching you. If you cannot be trusted, how would I ever give you something of your own, let alone the real riches that I value, which are people. I'm going to move on. Because number five is personal disciplines. If God is number one, and your spouse is number two, and your children and number three, and your finances are in order. God wants us to also live lives that are worthy of being examples to other people. You see how these circles are? The personal disciplines is the outer circle that other people see when they look at you. And if our lives are in chaos and disorder, if we're always late, if we aren't looking after our bodies, and hey, I am not the uh, epitome of somebody who has achieved excellence in all these areas. I am like you, claiming every day as the day of salvation, every day going, God, help me, help me eat correctly, help me exercise, help me discipline my thought life, help me discipline my organization and my ability to live a life. There are things we can do and I haven't got time to share them today. But if we can get our personal disciplines in order, and so many people start from the outside of this in. That's where their order lies. But God says, no, I am number one. And if I'm not number one, number two won't work. And if number, I'm not number one, then number three and four and five will be harder. It's not that with God in your life at the center, your whole life is perfect and everything is easy. That is not the truth. It just means that God will be your partner, that he'll be a resource to you. He will give you his wisdom when you don't know what to do, when God is 
number one, you fall to your knees first rather than reaching for the telephone and calling a friend. When God is number one, he gives you his grace and his strength because Jesus Christ died for the things that we could not do and the things that we have done that are wrong. And he gave us, the Bible says, his grace. His grace simply means the strength to do what we should do, what we need to do to live successful, full, happy lives. That grace God gave us when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us and take the punishment for the things that we've done wrong because today is the day of salvation. And the Bible says there's no condemnation to anyone who is in Christ Jesus In other words, if you accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice for your sin, for the things that you've done wrong, if you accept that today because today is the day of salvation for you, if you accept that, then you also accept the grace that he gives you. He takes your hand and he says, come on, let's walk through these things together. Will you keep me in the middle so that I can be in number two, number three, number four, number five, and I can make those wheels spin. I can make things that, that, are, that are hard and beyond your reach. I can pull them down into your reach.